the following program contains important but graphic material. These topics are designed to foster discussion, but may be objectionable to some. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Exploited Crimes Against Humanity. This program is a training program on human trafficking, sextortion, social media exploitation, and child pornography based on actual cases. Our mission is to eradicate human exploitation and bring predators to justice. Now, here is the host of the program, Opal Singleton. Well, hello and welcome to Exploited Crimes Against Humanity. This is Opal Singleton and we are having some technical difficulties this morning that we don't normally face. So who knows what that's about, but we're going to charge on here. We've already lost a little bit of time and that's regretful because we have a tremendous guest today. And I'm very excited about sharing with him. And for any reason, uh, our guest today is Anthony Ortiz from California Youth Outreach. Uh, Anthony, you want to say hello? Hello? Yeah, okay. <laughs> if for any reason I get cut out here, you know, feel free to take over this show, Anthony. <laughs> I have no idea no what's problem. going on here. But anyway, uh, I met Anthony at the Los Angeles Gang Conference. It was the Violence Prevention Conference uh, recently, and uh, all of a sudden he and I realized that we have very similar backgrounds but on different subjects. Of course, I work with million kids in the Riverside County Anti-Human Trafficking Task Force, and my expertise is in sex trafficking. But I met Anthony because he is a gang expert, and it was just really, really exciting because 90% of the cases that we handle in Southern California on sex trafficking have a gang nexus to them. They're uh, have they're either operated by gangs, they interact with gangs in some way. So I wanted Anthony to come on the show, and I regret that we're having these technical difficulties here. Um, Anthony, first of all, let's um, let's get started right off the bat since we've lost some time here. Tell me a little bit about yourself and how you how you got into this. Well, as myself, um, my agency that I work for was started by my father, who was a ex gang member himself. And uh, back in 1981, he or actually 1980, um, he got out of the gang lifestyle and uh, changed his life and um, started to um, figure out what is he going to do um, outside of his former life of being involved in crime and drugs and gangs. And so um, he started getting into a church, and the pastor told him to um, he needs to reach out to a population to the people that my pastor couldn't get a hold of or couldn't um, couldn't engage with. And so that population was those that were living in the neighborhood that had gang gang involvement, which is our background and our family. Um, our families has um, still has still has involvement in gangs, younger generations of um, people in my family. And um, so we know about um, how the lifestyle is and how it impacts families and how it brings um, consequences. And so um, ever since then, my dad had um, been doing um, that mission of um, reaching out to those in gangs. And as I was eight years old when he started the agency, we started as a prison prison ministry so my father was wow. going into the prisons as uh-huh. a volunteer wow. 
So, um, so as a myself, you know, I, I grew up, um, you know, as a little kid being exposed around the gang lifestyle. And when my dad changed his life, basically, you know, what, what he, when he stopped, I never got started. So, you know, technically I was never an official gang member, but I've seen a lot and been around a lot to the point where, you know, I had a lot of information around me where I was able to see the realities of, you know, how this lifestyle can really impact lives and people. And, and it was a real guide for my life to keep me away from that lifestyle. But, um, Based on that, Anthony, what's, what's your observation of how they recruit so many young people into it? Well, you know, the, the way the gangs are now is that they're more than just street gangs. They're, they're cultures. And so, like, when you go to neighborhoods, even down there in Riverside County, because I know Riverside County has probably the most street gangs of any county outside of L.A. County and San Bernardino County down in Southern California. And those neighborhoods have been there for decades. And so, you know, those that have been living in those neighborhoods all that time or have been used to a certain culture there, that's what they're going to adopt or that's what they're going to be used to living around. And so it's easier now for kids to adjust to that because... To them, it looks normal to them. And so they get used to the different types of things that are involved in that culture. And it doesn't even have to be violence right away. It can be how they dress, what kind of individuals they talk to, how they, how they talk, what kind of music they listen to. And nowadays, it's social media. So who's mm-hmm. on social media and who's from yeah. their area? You know, because you got to remember a lot of the kids that that hang out with each other from those neighborhoods you know they they were friends before they became gang members and that's what happened with me when i was a kid i had a lot of friends from my neighborhood and you know we weren't gang members we were just kids but as we started growing up some of them straight into straight away into gang involvement because they had yeah, and I think, changes I that think happened in their lives yeah, yeah so I like think also the lure of things like rap music can do it too. Uh, uh, let me ask here. Uh, I think that we're coming up against a hard break uh, here because sure. we got a late start. Uh, sure. So we probably have to cut away to a commercial and okay. um, and like that. But when we come back, I'd like to see and and hear from you how all of this works in the community. Sure, no problem. And um, there's a lot of changes in the there's a lot of changes in the uh, approach on how to work with gangs, as you saw at the conference, um, a lot different than what it was 20 years ago. So um, us being in the yeah. faith base, oh sure, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, you know, yeah. us being in the faith base uh, realm, even us, we have a we have a role where we can contribute to reducing violence and gang activity and bringing wellness to the community. You know, so so there's so even us, um, they're they're really pushing more to bring in everybody that has a resource to help people, even the faith based community where before they never did or not as much, and now they're really bringing them in more. So um, that is an interesting approach, and I saw so much of that at the um, at the conference. 
is that, you know, some of these gang leaders are extremely violent, especially those that are running sex trafficking rings. And uh, so a lot of the work that an organization like you do, I think, is to keep people out of the gangs and also any of them that you can convince not to participate in that life. Uh, How does that play out compared to just law enforcement going after, you know, hardened criminals? Well, it's all about um, relationship building with these individuals because, you know, a lot of these guys that are at at the point where they're at in their gang career um you know it it there's been a lot of their lives some of the, a lot of them their lives were different before they really got entrenched in the gangs you know a lot of stuff led to them to get into that involvement lots of different reasons and so you know us us in an agency that works with individuals we try to figure out what all the all the root causes of them of why they got involved and what's what's keeping them there and what's preventing them from not leaving because there's a lot of guys even that high up that that really don't want to be involved but um there's uh certain things that are keeping them there that um even when you give them services and and even when they progress in your programs um something's keeping them from leaving and so so there's when you really when you is really there a fear um, of retaliation is that part of it I'm sorry is there a fear of retaliation for trying to get out that's one of them but really what we find out with a lot of them is they find uh, they find a lot of things in the gang and the gang culture in the gang world that they value and that they protect where um, they don't want to leave. So if they're making money, if they're feeling a sense of belonging or some kind of a family dynamic that they never got outside of the gang, then it makes it harder for them to leave. Yeah, so, so what we do as an agency is we try to replace all of, all of those things with other dynamics outside of gangs that can replace it. Or otherwise, they um, have a hard time leaving. And so if they can figure out how to make money the right way without uh, sex trafficking or drug dealing, um, where they're not going to, um, it's not, they're not going to face any harm like they do when they're out on the streets. Um, if, they're, if we um, connect them with responsible adults, uh, with people that can... Um, give them care and be non-judgmental and give them things that the gangs can't give them where they can value it and they can protect it while they're um, trying to decide if they want to stay with the gangs or if they want to gravitate to uh, regular society, then that's what they battle with a lot when they're trying to transition out of it is they're trying to see if it's going to be worth leaving gangs to go the other way. And gotcha. so, uh-huh. and so that's 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 what they face. Besides retaliation, which is one thing, but if it's worth it for them to um, go the other way and learn how to value and protect new things, then a lot of them will will um, start to phase out. You know, slowly mm-hmm. but surely they do fade away if they uh, value new things. So can they just get out of a gang and live a normal life in the same neighborhood, or do they need to relocate? Well, that depends on certain individuals. You know, 
us, we've, we've had lots of kids, lots of young guys and young girls um, go back to their neighborhoods and um, they were able to function in their neighborhoods even while phasing out of the gang, you know. Uh-huh. So, you know, when you, when you give them, when you give them, um, when you help them with um, thinking for a change type of curriculum and you help them to change their thinking and you show them how to do uh, solve problems differently than what they do because gangs use violence to solve problems no matter what they do. Right. And yeah. so, and so, if you teach them how to solve problems in a different way, without using violence, without using intimidation, without using the predatory mindset that they're um, brought up to use when they're involved in gangs, then they can um, they can do things differently. And so, some of these kids they live in little towns, like out there in Riverside County. There's a lot of small towns where there's really nowhere else for them to go because they live there in a town that's only 5,000, 10,000 people, and it's hard for, and they can't always relocate. But if you right. give them the resiliency skills on know how to deter gang involvement and to um, make decisions where you're not going to be a threat to their homeboys or their homegirls anymore, then um, they can find a way to fade away even there. You know, but they mm-hmm. have to learn how to do it in an effective way. Um, gangs are only going to be threatened by you when you leave if you're a threat to them. But mm-hmm. if you're not a threat to them, you have a good chance of fading away. If you just disappear real quick, that's kind of threatening to them. But if you fade away little by little by little, where you're not threatening them, then you, ha- you have a good chance of gravitating into a new life without crime and gangs and going to prison. So, um, in your opinion, how many gang members are actually using drugs? I would say most of them, because one thing about drugs and gangs is they're like a marriage. I mean, they go hand Uh in hand. And so, you know, there's a lot of guys that when they go and commit crimes, a lot of them are under the influence when they're doing robberies, drive-by shootings, um, attacks on rivals. Because some of those, some of the kids that are joining, they have a, they have a, some of them have a difficult time actually committing the, the incidents that they're doing, you know, mm-hmm. so, so, you know, some of them can't be in their right mind just to go commit a crime. So being under the influence of meth or, or cocaine or, or any kind of other drug, you know, will push them to go and do a crime. You know, and later on, they might not even remember, and later on when they come down from the drug, they're like, wow, you know, what did I do? I don't even remember what I did. I just remember yeah. taking this drug, and now I'm in jail. What happened? What, what we're seeing is a lot of gangs that are turned to sex trafficking because they can lure right. in the girls, get them high on drugs, you know, right. sex them in, and use them to recruit other girls that normally would never be be recruited into a gang. Right. And you know what? Uh, the The way I look at it, the sex trafficking is like the new drug. That's the new money for the gangs. You know, because right. it's just like drugs run out, but the females, the girls, the clients, they don't run out. So right. they can use the same girl over and over and over and make this and make money over and over with the same girl. And, and it's a lot. Well, the, like, yeah, go ahead. So like the, 
So like the sex trafficking now, it's different when the gangs are involved compared to just what you saw in the past with the pimps on the street and everything. Because now when a girl tries to leave, she doesn't have, she doesn't have just one person after her. She has a whole gang after her. And so, right. and not even just one neighborhood, but if you're involved in a gang network where you got, you know, multiple factions of one gang, then they're all after her. And so yes. it, it becomes a lot more dangerous, and they and they can harm your family as well. Yeah, it uh, it really plays deep into that grooming process of you owe them. That's your loyalty to the gang. You don't have the ability to say no and like that. One of right. one of the uh, big cases that I often talk about was out of Fresno with the Dog Pound Gang, and right. for years they preyed on foster kids, homeless, and runaway kids. And they were yeah. literally averaging $30,000 a week just on sex trafficking of young girls there. But they yeah. were also getting the girls to use fraudulent credit cards and steal credit cards out of mailboxes. And they right. were making over $1.45 million in manufacturing and spending on fraudulent credit cards. When, yeah. when they were arrested, there was more than $50,000 in cash and 17 vehicles including a Bentley, a Range Rover, a party bus, and a boat. So yeah. I, I share all that with our listeners because I want them to understand this is not just a, a small gang getting together, you know, uh, having a little sex with the girls kind of thing. This right. is, in fact, a commercial enterprise. That's why now, if you noticed, as you know, over the years, is that the um, prosecution on street gangs has changed so much. Um, where they used to just do the racketeering indictments on organized crime and prison gangs, but now they can, they have all the, there's, if they fit the criteria to show that the street gangs have um, organized activity around drugs and around uh, sex trafficking, anything that's making money that has ties to any organized crime, whether it be a prison gang or to a um, or to a drug cartel or to any organized crime, then they're subject to federal prosecution and they go to federal prison because that's what you see all the gangs now is the the state prisons are getting empty because everybody's getting let out because of the prison realignment that happened in 2011, and now you got all the gang members going to federal prison because they're getting federally prosecuted under the RICO Act now. Uh-huh. Yeah, so, that, whole, that whole prison scenario, I mean, I know of three large-scale sex trafficking rings that were being run from prison. Yeah, yeah. And you know, one, one of the crazy ideas I want to share with our listeners is uh, I'm, I haven't done this yet, but I've been thinking about opening up a fundraising program where we are able to purchase a, uh, a dog for here in Southern California. They've now taught yeah. dogs to sniff out cell phones, cell phones and thumb yeah. drives. And I thought, what if our agency could provide a free dog to Riverside County that could go into all the prisons and all the jails, you know, spontaneously, maybe once or, uh, or twice a month or once a week, and sniff out those phones? And get, because without phones, it's real hard to run a sex trafficking ring from prison. Right. Yeah, that's I don't know. right. But, but we need to raise a lot of money to do that. So, 
If yeah. any of our listeners want to contribute, write to me at Opal, O-P-A-L, at Million Kids, and we'll see if this, this project gets off the ground anyway. <laughs> so it's kind of interesting. But uh, interesting. Well, that's a fascinating uh, business that you're into, and I, I applaud you for being willing to take this on. So you actually go into the person still? Is that is that some of what you do? Well, my father, he does. He's he's retired from the agency, but he still volunteers and goes into um, a couple of the California state prisons here in the Central Valley. And so um, he's a pastor, and so he'll go into the chapel services and talk to all the inmates, and and he'll um, and he'll speak with them and give them some hope, and you know, give them give them some good messages on how they can how they can reintegrate themselves back into society without gang involvement and drug involvement and crime and and as far as our agency, um, we've we've gone into the um, into the local juvenile facilities. Uh, for instance, in Monterey County, um, I have staff that goes regularly into the juvenile hall and to and into their youth center where they have youth that are um, serving one-year commitments for um, criminal activity out in Monterey County. And so we do a pre-release program where we help prep them and help them to set a plan before they get released. And we keep them on a one-year um, case, case log where um, we try to help reduce their recidivism. But a lot of them, the majority of them, are gang involved and have gun charges and violent crime and they're repeat offenders and so we try to um, help them uh, follow their case plan comply with their probation and try to uh, help them change their thinking so they can fade away from all their bad habits that led them back to uh, lockup and so and so um, you know part of that is um, trying to reduce everything that got them involved into uh, gang activity. And so that's the root of a lot of their issues. So when we reduce their gang activity, then a lot of the other stuff that led to their, um, to their issues getting locked up and getting into um, situations that don't benefit them, then um, they, those, um, those reduce as well. And so we've had some, we, I just, I do data reporting as well, and so I did a um, a check on 16 of my clients that fi- finished a one-year program in Monterey County, and um, out of 16, only two of them got rearrested, which was a good oh, thing. Oh, that is cool. That yeah, is really, and so really cool. A, a lot of the success was because of the reducing their gang activity. So my staff would always give them guidance. That's that's what they wanted the whole time is all those hours and time that they put in to give them guidance on how to um, follow a plan outside of gangs. That's what was really the key to their whole success. And uh-huh. few, few of them came from little towns out in Monterey County, and they went back and still live there, but because they have new skills and they got new assets that they build in them that are positive assets, now, when they run into issues, now they got all the resiliency tools in order to sidestep everything that led them to violence and to um, getting locked up. And so, and so now, you know, they can, they can function outside of gangs. They can function outside of drugs. They don't have to um, 
refer to drugs when they run into an issue, you know, because a lot of those guys are dealing with a lot of the stuff that you're hearing, like you heard at the conference about PTSD and trauma and all that stuff. And so, and so now, you know, we understand what, what led them in the gangs, you know, all the different things that happened to them before they got involved, you know, all the trauma they experienced when they, when they got involved. Because you got to remember, gang members, when you, when you refer to trauma with gang members, it's a whole different world with those guys and with those girls. Because, like, they're, like, double, triple diagnosed with PTSD and trauma because they have things that happened to them before they got involved, while they're involved. And you got to find, find a way to stabilize them just so you can even talk to them about what happened to them before they got into gangs. And so that that's one thing. We nev- yeah. yeah. Isn't that interesting? We never think about gang members having PTSD. Yeah. And, and um, that's one thing that I've been training on as a capacity builder in the last, I'd say, about eight months. I've been piloting this segment about PTSD and trauma just with gang members and how is it different from your typical at-risk youth. And so I've got a good response out of it because it is different. And you and you have to um, follow. Uh, you can follow the same path as you do with the regular with the regular clients that are not in gangs, but you got to be more patient with them. You're dealing with more things, and um, there's a lot a lot of stuff you got to tackle with them just to stabilize them, just so they can um, even be referred to a therapist or referred to a pastor or anybody that can help them with their with their behavioral or their mental health. And so and so that's um that's what I've been piloting and it's it's I've been getting a good response from it lately. Wow. So is there a particular uh you know, in looking at gangs in general, the large scale gangs, yeah. is there a particular yeah. gang that's uh you know, we're we're hearing a lot of talk right now about MS thirteen, but you know, yeah. I don't think people realize how gangs are organized and where they impact. And, for instance, MS-13, I know, is um, uh, a situation that is national, and I've seen many cases of, you know, yeah. where that is a major problem. But then we have local gangs here. And right. so how are gangs organized? Are some of them, like, local, some report to cartels, some national? How does that work? Well, that's interesting that you say because um, I would say about about 20 years ago, there was a big shift in the way gangs work. Um, as you know, in the prisons, um, they got gangs on both on two different yards in the prison. You got them on the regular yards and you got them in the yards that are what you call the protective custody or the SNY yards. And so, so the reason why that happened is because is because the gang members now, they think a lot different than the gang members, even from my era and my dad's era. Um, you know, back then, they were a lot more traditional. Um, they had a different set of rules. They followed a different code. But the kids now, they, they don't follow that same code. At least not most of them don't. So, so you know, when that started happening... Um, even stuff across the border was changing. I mean, now that the drug cartels have really taken a grip on the drug activity, 
you know, now, I, and there's a lot of money that's involved in that type of lifestyle, you know, any gang member, I mean, you don't even have to really be in a prison gang to connect with a guy across the border. You know, the guys across the border will, will sell, make, give you drugs. It doesn't matter who you are because, you know, you can, you can connect with them and you can bring money to your whole neighborhood or to your whole block. Because as you know, there's some gangs in California, they're not tied to any organized crime. They're just little block gangs. But they're making uh -huh. so much money, just like here, you know, in the valley, uh, in Northern California, Southern California. They're just small little gangs, but they're making tons of money in drugs and, and uh, sex trafficking because they're connected with somebody that has some kind of organized um, activity. And that's why a lot of the little street gangs, even them, are subject to federal prosecution because they're connected. And so... And so now you have a lot of guys that they don't even have to rely on the prison gangs anymore to make their own money and to get rich on the streets. They can do it by so themselves. Is there retaliation if a small gang makes their own money but they don't give it back to the prison gangs? Is there retaliation when, with, in that case? You know, not always because if what, what happened is if there's guys that leave prison gangs and they and they function by themselves in the past there would be retaliation a lot quicker but nowadays there's so many guys that are functioning by themselves away from the prison gangs that um you know if a if a if a, another gang that's tied with organized crime in prison retaliates or attempts to retaliate against them it's it's different because now you have a whole bunch of guys that are doing the same thing that are dropped out or they're or they're functioning with the same kind of thinking where um they have a lot of backup now so it's not just like one guy or two guys that are fearing a whole gang now you got a whole you got hundreds hundreds and hundreds of individuals that are doing the same thing that'll back each other up. So it's it's a lot different now. You know, it's even now, like if you go into a prison, it's almost like you can choose where you want to go. You can go to this yard where there's active prison gang members, or you can go to another yard where there's a lot of guys that are not playing all the politics in prison, but they're still making money. They're still gangbanging on the streets. And some of those guys are still somebodies on the in the gang world, so they can still go and and do what they did before, but they don't have to re, have to um, abide to things in prison anymore like they used to. So that's what's really changed. Huh. Interesting. So um, uh, one of the things that we see. Uh, you know, in the studies that I do, is that gangs come together that normally never came together. And yeah. then you're seeing gang wars over sex trafficking territory because it's so lucrative. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and you know what that is, is, is a lot of gangs, because the whole mindset, see, see, gangs, they operate under ideologies, just like how ISIS is how ISIS recruits because they have a certain ideology that brings individuals into their organization. So they don't have to be, in that, in, in that example, you don't have to, as you know, you don't have to be American or, or you don't have to be of their ethnicity to join. You can be anybody. They'll take anybody as long as they abide to their ideology. 
the gangs have the same thing. Like here in California, we got Northerners and Southern Mexicans. And so those, those that um, believe in certain ideologies of being a Northern Mexican and a Southern Mexican, then they kill just off of that, just on their identity. But you also have a lot of guys in other gangs that have a certain ideology about making money about how they, what their philosophy is on how they see uh, being rich and being poor. And so a lot of those guys that you see that are gangbanging, that are all in it for the money, they have that ideology of being broke is weak, and so you have to make money. And it's getting, it's getting so bad now that even the gangs that used to just kill because one wore red or one wore blue, they're kind of putting that to the side now, and they're killing over money because money is superseding basically their identity in the gang as far as their heritage and, you know, their background, their history. You know, some of these kids don't even know about that. They just know about making money. And so, so that's, that, that's that a big motivator for them. Sure. That explains something to me then because, and, and I'm, it, it'll be interesting to see the impact of social media on this because yeah. before and earlier when we worked with gangs, they would be very territorial, you know, this yeah. block to that block kind of thing. But now with social media, for instance, uh, one of the things I often talk about in Fresno is that you had the, the dog pound gang that preyed on local kids, but you also had the bulldog gang that recruited nationally and sold yeah. nationally. Now, now, the dog pound gang, they, they kind of sold locally and, you know, take them over to Las Vegas, that kind of thing. But, yeah. but um, you know, the bulldog gang operating in the same territory, um, the dog pound gang was much younger guys. The bulldog gangs were older guys, but they sold yeah. across the United States. And and one yeah. of the things that we're seeing, and is a challenge to law enforcement, is that the gangs no longer are just like limited to one territory because of social no. media. the The world is their their playground, basically. Yeah. See, back in the past, gangs were already migrating to other areas before even Facebook and MySpace and all that even came out. I think when social media came out, people started to see that they were already in other places that they normally weren't. I think social media just exposed how, how um, widespread the gangs got because in the, 90s and, in the 90s, a lot of the gangs from California were already in other states. And for a lot of different reasons, they move because of jobs, they move because cheaper housing. Um, some guys went to different prisons in other states, so families migrated to other states to be next to their loved ones. But what they did was they took their, their gang culture with them to these other areas, and that's why you see Crips and Bloods and Sureño and Norteño and MS-13 and areas that you never thought they'd ever be at. And right. so when you see social media, all it's doing is just showing you where they've been at. But even now, because now people have access to information that they never had before, even people that are not even in gangs, they can look online and find whatever they want. And they can, they can um, go and migrate out out anywhere themselves because now they know where all the gangs are at in the nation you know who's who's in this state who's in that state 
if if my gang goes to this state, who are going to be my rivals? Because now I can look online and see who's living out there and who's selling drugs and who's committing activity out there. And so, as you know, social media is just a big network of information for for everybody to see. And that's why it's more dangerous to have access for social media for for some people because some people, they don't, they have no business really even looking at that info. And so when they engage into the gangs online, you know, they really don't know really what they're getting involved with because some of the stuff on there is real sensitive. And when you talk to a gang member online and, and he messages you, you know, that's a lot of different conversation than just talking to a regular person or a regular stranger. This is a guy that's, um, that can pose a threat or, or a danger to you. And uh, one thing that a lot of kids and individuals do online when they toy with the gang world online is they take it too lightly. And that's why a lot of them become victims out here in the community because they think they can just shut their, their uh, phone off or their tablet or their computer off and they think that it's all over with. But these guys, they don't forget. And when they get threatened, they don't forget. And, and they'll find a way to track you down if they really want to track you down. Well, we are going to take a break. I'm getting messages here. We're having all kinds of technical difficulty today, which we've Uh never, never had. And this is uh, unfortunate because, in my opinion, this is one of the best shows we've had. And uh, so um, we may have to redo this show before it's over. But anyway, I'm getting an email from uh, Phoenix, this show broadcasts out of Phoenix, that uh, it is time to take a break. So we are going to go ahead and take a short break, and then we'll be right back. Okay. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Seduced, the grooming of America's teenagers is the most important book a parent will read this year. Human trafficking is one of the fastest growing crimes in America. Three out of four victims are U.S. citizens. Most are our young people who have been lured into prostitution by a boyfriend or girlfriend or hook up with a newfound love on the Internet. Sometimes they are victims of blackmail as a result of sending a revealing photo. Sometimes it's catastrophic. Opal Singleton, president of Million Kids, has written a powerful book for parents, educators, civic leaders, and first responders about how predators use social media, apps, chat rooms, video games, and the dark web to access, groom, recruit, and exploit young people. It is truly a must-read for every parent, grandparent, and teacher in America. Seduced, the grooming of America's teenagers will help you understand how technology makes an innocent teen vulnerable to predators and how to talk to teens to keep them safe. Priced at $15.99 plus $4 shipping, Seduced can be ordered at millionkids.org. Share this with everyone you know. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Exploited, Crimes Against Humanity. If you have a question or comment, please send an email to opal at millionkids.org. That's O-P-A-L at millionkids.org. 
Now, back to Exploited, Crimes Against Humanity. Here again is Opal Singleton. Well, hello and welcome back to Exploited, Crimes Against Humanity. This is Opal Singleton. The show is brought to you by Million Kids, M-I-L-L-I-O-N. We'd encourage you to follow me and kids on Facebook. And be sure and write to us at Opal at Million Kids. And I really want to take a minute out and say thank you to all the people who sponsor this show and also who donate to Million Kids so that we can continue to educate to keep kids safe from predators. If you want to do that, you can do that by going to www.millionkids.org. That's M-I-L-L-I-O-N, millionkids.org. We are not 1 million kids. We're not 10 million kids. We're not a million kids. We're just simply millionkids.org. Well, today we have as our guest Anthony Ortiz, and he is with California Youth Outreach. And he is a gang specialist. And, you know, this show, I, I apologize for the technical difficulties that we're having. This show, in my opinion, is really just chock full of information. You can uh, listen to this show over and over. You can share it. It is archived at exploitedcrimes.com. That is exploitedcrimes.com. Go to the last episode there. And uh, if you just go into listen, you'll see all the episodes there, and you'll see the episode for today. And you're welcome to download this show, share it anywhere you want. This has been so good, in my opinion, with the amount of information that he is giving us that we may have him back on again so that um, we can, one more time, disperse this information. So Anthony and I were talking about the changes that are taking place in gangs and gang formation. And I believe that that's really, really important information for any first responder, any law enforcement, any social worker to understand. And um, before we get back into that, I just uh, want the people to know, how can they reach you, Anthony? You can reach me at my, I have a Facebook called Breakout Prison Outreach dash California Youth Outreach. Um, You can also... um, Reach me at my uh, website at cyoutreach.org, or if you want to get directly uh, in touch with me, you can email me at tjunior at cyoutreach.org, and I'll answer any questions you might have about the uh, broadcast today, any questions about the information that we shared today. Okay, and if they had trouble getting all that since it went fairly quickly, they can always reach me at Opal at Million Kids, and I'll forward it over to you. But his organization is California Youth Outreach, and so therefore that's why um, uh, that website. Give us that website one more time. It's uh, C-Y-O-U-T-R-E-A-C-H, C-Y-Outreach.org. Stands for California Youth Outreach. So I am absolutely fascinated by the conversation that we're having, and we are down to our last about six minutes or so here. But uh, I just kind of want to reiterate uh, for our audience, because this is really important stuff, for them to understand how gangs have reorganized. And I'd like you to just kind of, based on the impact of social media, and the fact that so much money is being made out of sex trafficking and and, uh, drugs, that it isn't necessarily the small neighborhood gangs anymore, that that it's kind of the rules have all changed, and in many cases there's no rules as long as money prevails. 
that's the mindset now. And, um, you know, when I did my training with uh, just these last um, several months, um, when I started researching, one thing that I found that has really impacted the kids in, in these last 10, 15 years is that the kids have a different personality than the guys in the past. And so if you notice, a lot of the kids, this is, the kids live in the hip-hop generation now. And so I followed the hip-hop culture since I was 11 years old. And um, one thing about the hip-hop culture is it teaches kids, it shows kids how to speak up for themselves, how to um, question everything, how to do things for their own, um, not to get discouraged by anything else, but to just do for yourself. And so when you look at how the gangs are, um, their personality is right now, all of that is fitting into everything that they're doing right now, even to the point where now they're breaking away from traditional gangs and traditional rules, and they're doing their own thing. And, mm -hmm. um, and money is what a big motivator impact? for them to do that. Wow. We're down to about the last three minutes, and that's probably sure. an unfair question. We need to pick up and do this again, okay. but... Thank you for tuning in this week to Exploited, Crimes Against Humanity. Please join your host, Opal Singleton, for another edition next Thursday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll have another important discussion next week.